I, like I said, I think the story of Gideon is very applicable to all of us. You see, Gideon, he was threshing wheat and he's hiding. And an angel speaks to him and addresses him as a mighty man of valor. Uh, some people see this as humorous because the Bible says that Gideon was hiding from the enemy while he was doing this. And Gideon's response when, when the angel comments on him about being a man of valor, Gideon says, I'm, I'm from a poor family. I'm, I'm not a hero. But I think Gideon was acting very heroically here. And this is my, my opinion on this part. So, you know, you can look at it yourself and, and test me on it. But I think Gideon was acting a bit of a hero. Uh, his response was a response of humility, first of all, uh, not a response of fear. And here's why. As I read through Gideon, or excuse me, I read through Judges chapter 6 about Gideon, I don't, I don't read about anybody else thrashing wheat. I don't read about anybody else out there working to provide for the nation while the enemy is looming around them. The Bible doesn't say if there was anybody else. It just talks about Gideon. But I think here's this place. The Midianites number like 132,000. There's just a whole lot of them. At one point it says they're innumerable and their camels are innumerable. And they come in like locusts and they take what they want to the point where God's people are hiding and living in caves and mountains. Are you allowing that in your life? Are you allowing Satan to keep you living in a cave, so to speak? Is he like the Midianites to you? Here's the thing. Gideon, while all this is going on, all this negative stuff, he's found a place where he could thresh out wheat and collect grain for the people. That doesn't sound like the, the act of a coward. Sounds like the act of a strategist, if you ask me. But I imagine many people were hiding at home and, and possibly starving because of what the Midianites were doing. They had taken over the land. In Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian. The sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. They would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the lands to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 7, Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and disposed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. And here's the kicker. But you have not obeyed me. The Israelites start to cry out. God has to let them understand what got them to the place they're at. You haven't obeyed me. You've turned away. You've allowed this land to become your home, so to speak. Gideon was out there actively doing something for his people who were hiding in caves. I think Gideon's response to the angel was also one of humility. Verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Did you catch that? This angel just told Gideon that he would save Israel. It kind of reminds me of church meetings sometimes. I think we should go out and mow the grass. Congratulations, you're the head grass mower. <laughs> that's, that's what took place right there. Gideon's like, what? You say the Lord is with us. Where's he been? And the angel says, hey, by the way, you're leading. Oh, I'm just here making grain. No, I'm calling you up. You see, he asked if God was for Israel, where, where is God now? He asked, has God actually abandoned us and left us here? It's been seven years of the Midianites just, just beating on us. Have you ever asked that kind of question of God? Where are you, God? Why is this happening in my life? What is going on? And then the answer is, uh, you need to straighten up. Because <laughs> if you get out of the way, I'm going to use you and it's going to be amazing. That's, that's what happens sometimes. The angel replied that God was sending Gideon to Israel and, and, and he was going to lead Israel into battle. And Gideon's only response was that he comes from a poor, humble family. He says in verse 15, Oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? My family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. You know, it's funny. Repeatedly through biblical history, we see where God takes the younger and uses them to lead the older. Even though it's still the older's job to lead the younger, God reaches in and he mixes things up sometimes. But the Lord said to him, verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. I don't think that really resonated with Gideon at that point. When God said, you will defeat Midian as one man, I don't think he really, uh, really grasped that. And we'll get to that in just a second. But God responds through the angel that Gideon would lead the country to victory. If Gideon were a coward, as a lot of people suggest, I think he would have continued to argue. I think he would have been like, wait, wait, I'm, I know, I'm, I just told you, I'm, I'm the least of these, I'm the youngest, I'm not the one. You need to move on to the next wine press and find somebody else that's, that's out here. But the reality is Gideon knew that God could do what he said he would do. Here's the trick, though. Gideon still asks, asks some favors. He asks God to prove himself as if an angel speaking wasn't enough proof. And right after this first conversation, Gideon asked the messenger of God to stick around and enjoy a meal with him. It goes like this in Judges chapter 6, verses 18, uh, starting with verse 18. Gideon gets a lot more than what he was asking for. Gideon told him, if I now have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. And unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and, and broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. That's one of my favorite parts. Because when you ask God to show you something, he really does. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. That's impressive. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Now listen, there's, there's something impactful here. Because at this time, Midian, or that, that area is overrun by the Midianites. They were worshipers of Baal. A lot of the Israelites were worshiping Baal. Gideon stops and he builds a fresh altar. He builds something right there for God that, and names it the Lord is peace. He's letting everybody know there's something coming here. Gideon learned to trust God step by step. I wonder what that would look like for us. I mean, if we truly listened to God and allowed his voice to be the one that we respond to, would we be like Gideon? Would we allow God to chisel away at our doubt and our fear and our denial? I don't know what that would look like for you. Maybe it would look something like this. Ephesians says that we are God's workmanship, in a sense, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I, I don't see a masterpiece. Maybe a Picasso, but not a, not a masterpiece. But I want to be all that God wants me to be. And so I go to him in prayer. I say, God... Make me into your masterpiece. Make me into what you want me to be. Make me like your son. Make me into your masterpiece. Hi. Who are you? I'm God. <laughs> You're not. Yes, I am. You said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. If, if you're God, then make it snow in here. Well, if I made it snow in here, then... It'd really get kind of yucky, and I really don't want to do that. God wouldn't say yucky. Yes, I do. It's a Greek word. <laughs> okay, if you're God, then what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Well, Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, if you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? You know, I'm not so much into playing games. Why are you so into playing games? Hmm. You are God. What gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I do that. Don't I? <laughs> See, I did it again there. <clears throat> okay, step right up. Here we go. What, what are these? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Oh. But I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. <laughs> Here we go. Well, can, can we chisel like around here? And I, I'd like some 
some muscle down here, and I've been doing aerobics and exercise, and, and the aerobic thing was weird, but can you give... You know, are you going to talk, or can I chisel? Which is it going to be? Talk, chisel, talk, chisel. Chisel. Most of my children like to talk. Not me. I chisel. I'm not, I'll, I'm... I'll chisel. Chisel. <sighs> well, you've got a lot of anger... And you've got some pride. And you've been comparing yourself to other people, not me. Ow! You're lazy. But you pretend to be very, very busy. You have a problem with lust. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust? I have that under control. Right. Come here. Can we work on this some other time? Really? All right. Look, you're doing good. You really are. But when you look in a mirror, who do you see? I, I see me. Well, then I need to keep chiseling away. Because ultimately... When others and you look at you, they need to see my son. So here we go. When I start looking more like your son, it, it makes the people around me uncomfortable. Don't take it personal. But when I start being like your son, even people at church sometimes think, of, you've got a holier than our attitude because you don't do this or that. And So what you're doing right now, is you want to play God in certain areas of your life instead of me being God over your whole life. I didn't say that. That's what you meant. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. It's hard talking to you. You know everything I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, can we take, take a break from this? I mean, you've done a good job. I'm doing great. But can we take a time out? All right, what you're doing right now is very common. It's called controlling. Now, do you want to control certain areas of your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. Chisel. Okay. <clears throat> chisel away. You know, you've been holding on to this for a long time. You ready for this? Chisel. It hurts. It hurts me more than it hurts you. I understand. Excuse you me? Under, you wouldn't understand this pain. Hmm. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for sin and for pain. I also did it for another reason. I did it to give you freedom. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. And there are things in your life, even back in high school, that you go to that are not good for your life. You keep going back to these empty wells over and over again, and 
they never work. Every time you're tired, every time you're hungry, every time you're angry, every time you're lonely, you go there and they never work. I was just thinking that maybe... I was thinking that... Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Is there some other way? Your ways are not my ways. I can't be good. You can't be good. I've made you good. Be good. You wouldn't understand. Hmm. I wouldn't understand. I, God of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen... Wouldn't understand what one of my children has to say. Hmm. Try me. See, God, I've let you down so many times. You were never holding me when up. I, when I look in the mirror and I see a kid who's lonely and hurt and, and I, I try to be the man, I try to be an adult, but I can't do it. You have been listening to too many voices for far too long that are not of me. Look, you think you're junk, don't you? You really, really Think you're junk. Listen to me. You're not junk. I don't make junk. What does that say about me? Where's there some way that I could show you that the love I have for you has no boundaries? I know. Check your back pocket. What? Check your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Check your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I was saying, God, I'll check it right now. You were using my name in vain. It's just a saying. I didn't mean it. It was not just a saying. It's not just a name. It's not just a bad habit. It's the name above all names. I want to teach you something about my name. Check your back pocket. You know what that is? This is a page from my journal from eighth grade. How did that get in there? Hello. (laughs) Go ahead, read it. Dear journal, I love Sue. Other side. (laughs) I married her. Yes, I was there. Dear God, today I'm turning everything over to you. I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Your word says that you will make me into your masterpiece and use me to do great things. I don't see how that's possible. But I want that with all that I am. So, please, do whatever it takes to make me what you want. I love you, God. I love you too, Jimmy. I love you too much to leave you where you're at. 
this salvation you hold, don't make it into some sentimental knowledge or, or head knowledge. I want you to take control of every area of your life. I want you to, to work out the details of every area of your life. And don't compare yourself to others because that's just trivial nonsense. You see, you are my masterpiece. You are one of my workmanship. And in you, I find favor. This, don't look at this as a prison. Look at this as a father disciplining his son. Because a father disciplines the ones he loves. It's going to be tough, though. It is going to be tough. But you bought into the lie of thinking that everything's going to be easy once you said yes to me. But it doesn't work that way. (sighs) Tell you what, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look out there, and I want you to say, Jimmy is God's original masterpiece. Jimmy No, 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 no. Not like you see you, and not like you fear others see you, but like I see you. Jimmy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you really are. God doesn't make junk. You are God's original masterpiece. I'm a visual kind of person, and that's kind of how I see things with Gideon and the angel. And and as God began to chip away at Gideon's doubt, could you endure that conversation with God? Gideon did. The last few weeks, um, this series, I've I've had moments where I've, I've had a word for the men. I've had a word for the women, if you will. Today, I have a word for our younglings. So if you were 18 or under, I just want you to stand up. Go ahead. 18 and under, stand up. So I just want to know I have your attention. I know your parents are getting kind of fidgety, and so I don't want them to distract you. Um, and uh, so 18 and under, everybody just look up here for a moment. Um, and, and so I got to let the folks know in the back, you're not going to find this in your notes. Okay, this came out early. Hear this. You are God's masterpiece. You are not to be defined by your childhood diagnosis or your bad days. These things do not define who you are. These things do not mold and shape you. Do not allow your mistakes from yesterday to rule over you today. The best thing about being young and growing up is that every day is about learning who you are. And in case you're wondering who you are, you are a child of the one true king. As you grow up, remember this. The only thing you have to do is honor God. Because if you do that, then you will love your brother or sister. You will clean your room. 
without being asked. You will comb your hair. You will do your best at school. You will honor your mother and father. If you honor God, you won't grow up comparing yourself to others. Younglings, right here in this room, hold, hold out your hands like this, like you're going to get something. There you go. Go ahead, everybody. Hold, hold out your hands. Right here in this room, you guys have the ability to change our community. You young people in this room, 18 and under, have the ability to change our world. Do you have the desire? I challenge all of you to be the greatest man or woman of God for your generation. This is my prayer for you. I know I say it all the time, it's my prayer for Dylan, but really it's my prayer for every one of you, that you will grow up to be the greatest man or woman of God for your generation. You are all God's masterpiece, an original masterpiece, not not an accidental masterpiece, not something that that fell off the table and the nose broke off and, and it made you valuable. You are God's original masterpiece. God doesn't make junk. You are princes and princesses. You are children of the one true king. And don't ever let anyone tell you any different. You are created in God's image. You were created to be a reflection of him. You were created to serve humbly, to love boldly, to share unconditionally, to connect with other people unselfishly as a reflection of Jesus Christ. And any voice that you hear that says differently is from the enemy. Don't you believe it? Because you were created in his image and his image is perfect. And when you hear that voice, you run away from it and you run into his arms. And don't ever look back. And do not let yesterday define your tomorrow. Adults, if you're in this room, take a good look. Because these are the young people. These are the people that can change our community, that can change our world. They're going to be the light. They're going to be the difference that we didn't make. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Listen. I want to look at what happened to Gideon after he let God chisel away at him a little bit and he began to listen to the voice of God instead of the voice of the Midianites and the people around him saying, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, you're not worthy. The first big thing God asked Gideon to do was to overthrow the altar of Baal. Dot, dot, dot. That belonged to his father. The people of Israel built this altar, but it belonged to Gideon's dad. And after he tore it down, he was told to build an altar to God. Gideon knew he was going to make people mad when he did this. So he took ten servants with him, because it's always more fun to get in trouble with your friends. He took ten servants with him, and in the middle of the night, they destroyed the altar so that no one... I understand why the Bible says so no one knew who had done it, but the next morning it was discovered that Gideon did it, which means one of his friends was talking about it. Um, And Gideon was to blame for destroying this altar, this idol. And the men of Israel were upset. They wanted Gideon to be delivered to them so they could kill him. Now, this is a cool thing. Gideon's dad steps up and he says, hey, if Baal had been a true God, then Baal can kill Gideon himself. Uh, In your outline, these these verses are listed, so you can check that out as you get home. Um, Listen, Gideon, Gideon wasn't killed because of that, because Gideon honored God. And the altar was his dad's. He went against his dad honoring God. And it worked out just fine. After that, Gideon called on the men from the surrounding area to join him and build an army against the Midianites. 
And when they came together, Gideon asked God to confirm what he was doing, the right thing. One more time, Gideon said he set out a sheepskin or a fleece and he asked God to make it full of dew, to fill it with water, but to leave the ground around the fleece dry. And that night the fleece was saturated and the ground was dry. But again, as if, as if the angel wasn't enough, not dying for tearing down the, the idol wasn't enough, and the wet fleece being, or the dry fleece being wet and the ground being dry wasn't enough, he asked one more time for the opposite thing to happen. And so the next night, the fleece stayed dry and all the ground around it was wet. And Gideon said, okay, God, you want me to do this. Now, maybe you've heard of putting out the fleece to confirm something. That's where we get that word. Gideon was convinced that God wanted him to do this. But Gideon had his way, and God had his. And God said to Gideon, you have too many men. Now, what you need to understand, uh, we're going to get into some God math here in just a second. Uh, Gideon gathered up 32,000 men that, that would be enough to save Israel. But that wasn't how it went. God wanted Israel to know that it was not by these 32,000 men that they were saved, but by God himself. So God said to Gideon, you need to thin out your army. So Gideon said to all the men, If you're afraid and you don't want to fight, you can go home. I wish I could tell you that only three people left. Now, the Bible says that 22,000 men turned around and walked away. And Gideon was left with 10,000 men. Even though these men were brave, Gideon maybe thought, yeah, we still can do this with 10,000 men. And God said, they're not all wise. He asked Gideon, he said, take them down to the water. Let him get a drink. The number of the people, the men who drank while keeping guard of their surroundings was 300 men. The other 9,700, 9,700 men bowed down, stuck their face in the water, lost sight of potential enemy attacks, and God said that those men could go home. God said that 300 would become Gideon's army to fight against the Midianites. Now, according to Judges 8.10, there were at least 135,000 enemy troops against Gideon's 300 soldiers. That means each one of Gideon's soldiers would have to defeat 450 Midianites. This is going to be an epic battle, young people. Star Wars has nothing on this, all right? Gideon and his men, Gideon, he he prepares themselves for battle. God tells Gideon and his servant, he says, hey, go down to the camp of the Midianites and listen in. I have some encouraging news for you. So they sneak down And they're outside the camp. They hear one of the soldiers tell a dream to another. And the dream was that a great barley loaf would roll into the camp and flatten the tent. The second soldier said the dream meant that Gideon and the Israelites would destroy the camp of Midian. Now, my question there is, why are those two soldiers still standing there talking? I I knew that was coming. I would leave. Gideon and his servant, they go back. They're excited about the news and what God's going to do to them. And Gideon prepares his men. All right, it's time for battle. Time to unleash these 300 warriors. It's going to be amazing. I'm reading this. I'm thinking swords and staffs and shields and short swords and daggers and armor and bows and arrow. God had a different idea for this battle. I don't know what Gideon was thinking, but I know what I was thinking. Each of Gideon's men were prepared. They were equipped with a torch, a horn, and a pitcher. How do you prepare for battle with a torch and a water pitcher and a horn. The lamp was covered in a pitcher so that their lights didn't shine out yet. And Gideon spread out his men along the hillside into three different companies. They crept down toward the camp with their eyes on Gideon and he instructed them that when he blew his trumpet and broke his pitcher that they would do the same thing. 
and that they were also to yell out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so when all their pitchers and they broke their pitchers and they blew their trumpets and all this noise and, and the men inside the enemy camp wake up in the middle of the night and they're scared and Gideon's men yell out, but none of them move. They just stand there for the Lord and for Gideon. Ah, they're yelling. All the stuff's breaking. Lights coming out. They didn't leave their spot. They didn't engage the enemy. The Bible doesn't even say that the, the Gideon's men had any kind of weapon, only trumpets and broken pitchers and lamps. And the enemy soldiers began fighting those around them instead of fighting with Gideon and his men. So they're, they're fighting each other in the middle of the night. <laughs> the ones who survived the self-inflicted battle flee to the outer regions of Israel. And listen, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> All right. They flee to the outer regions of Israel. Guess who's in the outer regions of Israel? 30,000 out-of-work soldiers who just got sent home <laughs> with their weapons. You do the math. These out-of-work soldiers rise up and they just pick off the enemy army as they're fleeing as they're fleeing through the land. It's in Judges chapter 7 verse 23 through chapter 8. It's a great story. Gideon and his 300 soldiers continue to pursue the enemy and push them out. They capture kings and princes of the enemy's army, uh, of the enemy armies. Gideon's victory won the respect of the Hebrew nation, and they wanted him to become their king and to lead their country, but Gideon refused, saying that God would lead Israel. There's a man that knew where he belonged. Other men that, were, that did things for God often thought more highly of themselves than they should have. But Gideon, he said, you know what? God's going to lead Israel. I'm going to stay here and fight for Israel. God's going to lead. And the fear of Gideon and his mighty army spread throughout the region. Now, there's one little side note I want you to hear about, and that is this. Gideon, during his pursuit of the enemy, of the armies of the enemy, he had trouble from some of the tribes of Israel. They asked for food, and they wouldn't give it to him. They wouldn't give Gideon's army food. And so they, they continued on without food. They continued and they fought. And then later Gideon came back and he whooped them too. <laughs> Just thought that was a neat story. Uh, the fear of Gideon and his men was great enough that Israel lived in peace and worshiped God for the next 40 years. Now that's good news, except then it says Gideon died. And from the earlier stories in, in Judges, we know what happens when a good leader like that passes away. Gideon, like many of us, doubted his own ability. He suffered so many defeats, failures. He listened to so many voices of, of the enemy and maybe even of his own people. You're from the smallest tribe from Manasseh. You're barely a tribe of Israel. You're the smallest guy. And when God's before him, he even puts God to the test, not once, but three times. But here's the thing, through listening to the voice of God and ignoring the voices of others around him, even himself, Gideon learned to trust God step by step. I think if the angel would have told Gideon that he would defeat 135,000 people in the Midianite army with just 300 men, he would have just rendered it impossible right there at the beginning and walked away. But believing that this message really was from God, Allowing God to chisel away at his doubt and his fear, step by step. Paring down the army in such a way that Gideon knew without a doubt that God was in control of what was about to happen. The purpose for having such a small army was that God wanted Israel to know that it was him and not Gideon and his men who defeated the enemy. And I want you to know that. Your strength is not enough. Your power is not enough. Your might is not enough. 
Your faith is. But those other things aren't. What is it that God wants you to do? Do you find it impossible to believe the truth? Do you find it impossible to believe what God wants you to do? Because the truth is, whatever God wants from you is probably more impossible than you could really imagine if you do it by yourself. But when we obey Him, when we trust Him each step of the way, it'll make sense to do what He's calling us to do. I don't know what that takes for you. I don't know how you respond to that. But these guys are going to sing a song, a response song. And and if you need to respond to that, if you need to step forward, if you need to be baptized so that you can begin to do what God is calling you to do, that's awesome. Maybe it's repentance. I I don't know. Maybe you need to come forward and you just want the elders to pray with you and and to begin some accountability. That's that's why we're here. Maybe for you to do what God is calling you to do, you need to come forward. You can say, you know what? I want to partner up with Huntsville Christian Church. I want to impact this community. I want to be that change that you talk about. Whatever it is that that is on your heart, I just pray your response would happen. Don't hold it in. Don't be afraid of what the enemy is going to say. Don't be afraid to let God chisel away at the things that hold you back. Will you stand and sing with us, please? Amen. You know, I don't know what the future holds here for Huntsville Christian Church, but I know that as staff and, and elders and, and leadership, that, that we're going to follow where God leads. And, and we're going to put ourselves out there. And it's going to be risky. But it's what we're going to do because that's what he is calling us to do. D.L. Moody said, it's a, it is places of dignity. Excuse me. He said, um, it, is, it is that God often called men to places of dignity and honor when they have busy and honest employment of their vocation. Saul was seeking his father's donkeys and David his father's sheep when called to the kingdom. The shepherds were feeding their flocks when they had their glorious revelation of Jesus being born. God called the four apostles from their fishing and Matthew from tax collecting, Amos from the horsemen of Tekoa, Moses from keeping Jethro's sheep, Gideon from the threshing floor, Elisha from the plows. God never called a lazy man. God never encourages idleness. And that's what we don't want to be is idle. We don't want to come and And be warm and fuzzy and leave here and not do anything with what we've learned and what we've studied and what we've talked about. Because God is accomplishing his purposes on earth through men and women today who are willing to go out and risk everything for him. It's a great thing to be obedient to God and to be a part of his plan. So as you go this week, I pray that you'll remember that. Seek places and opportunities where you can be obedient to what God is calling you to do. I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, I thank you once again that we could be here today.